Welcome everyone to a fabulous and fun episode of Outside the Studio. I am your host, Tessa Tovar. I'm so excited to talk with Lily Womble. She is this really unique, lovely person who is, uh, I would say, an expert on dating and maybe matchmaking too, right? So as I was perusing your website, Lily, um, something jumped out at me. Um, it's kind of like your about section that I just, if you, if it's okay with you, I just wanted to read because it, it really was like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And I think it'd be helpful for people to hear. So here it is. This is in the words of Lily. I was in a toxic relationship. I made tons of excuses, stuffed my needs away and stuck around far too long. I felt numb and helpless or hopeless rather. I was ashamed to tell anyone about my situation because I knew I was accepting less than I deserved. Meanwhile, I was a top matchmaker at the largest firm in the U S making love air quotes happen was literally my job. So that like jumped off the screen at me and I was like, Whoa, yeah, right. <laughs> really? Tell me more about this. And wow. I think we can all resonate with being in that toxic relationship and feeling stuck. And like, how do you move on beyond that? And then that last sentence being a top matchmaker as your job. I know. So can you, can we unpack that a little bit? Will you tell me yeah, about this? Absolutely. So what a wild dichotomy, right? Like I, I was in my day-to-day life. I was the third most successful matchmaker out of 160 at this national firm. I was setting up dozens of clients, setting them up on hundreds of dates, having literally, I counted thousands of phone conversations with potential dates for my clients. And, um, and I love working. Um, my heart is at the well-being of women and girls. Like that's my mm. purpose, and that's why I started my career in the feminist advocacy nonprofit space. That's why, um, you know, I, I burnt out of the nonprofit world. But when I was, when I was trying to, you know, figure out what my next phase of my career looked like. I got this opportunity to become a matchmaker. And I thought that's kind of funny, you know, like there'll be a funny story one day, but what ended up, what I ended up realizing is that matchmaking was an opportunity to work with women and Mm. to um, dig beneath the surface of their dating desires and hopefully show them that what they wanted was possible. And in doing so, that might be a powerful shift in their overall confidence and mindset. Now, I was finding that um, setting someone up on a date wasn't the long-term solution that a lot of my clients actually desired or uh, what even what I desired for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love getting deep and going deep with people. And I knew for myself because I said like, this guy that I was with was everything I said I wanted on my checklist. Mm-hmm. And so if I had given this checklist to a matchmaker, right, I was, I was trying to matchmake myself. I did so horrible. I didn't do a great job because I wasn't diving beneath the surface of what I actually wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I remember this relationship coming to a head and ending and it actually being very traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, I'm actively, cause this is casual. I'll bring in the other factors. Like I'm realizing now four years into building my business and telling this story of that moment where like, mm-hmm. I'm crying on the bathroom on his bathroom floor. And then 15 minutes later, I take a matchmaking call. I actually realized a couple of weeks ago, Tessa, that while that story is powerful, it is all also traumatic for me to retell. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I even structure my story around the origin of date brazen, which was this like fiery moment in my life that actually is very traumatic, you know, and I'm healing from that trauma with therapy and coaching. Um, but, but I, I say all that to say like, these things are very real. And I, I want to acknowledge the women who are the people who might be currently in the, in a toxic relationship, who might be healing from a toxic relationship years later and might not know why, why am I still healing? Why am I not over this by now? Why is this dating thing so difficult for me? Um, you know, like I see you, you're not alone. Yeah. And, uh, and so what, after that relationship came to a head and we parted ways, I knew that I needed a deeper solution for myself. 
and my therapist didn't know what to tell me. She hadn't dated in 30 years. My, my friends like, and family, they were like, why don't you download another dating app? Why don't you like, let me swipe for you. And I knew from swiping professionally that that only was going to lead to more burnout and dissatisfaction and like not trusting my own gut because I was going to give them the power. And then I didn't want to do matchmaking because it, I, I didn't feel aligned with that approach for me. It wasn't as um, holistic as I wanted. And so I started exploring date coaching and that was about four years ago. And I got to know my essence-based preferences. I got to know like what's beneath my checklist. What would make me come alive across the table? What former beliefs about myself was I holding onto for dear life that no longer were serving me. And then through that work, i figured out that I loved being single and I was good at being myself. And like, I loved that. And then that work was the reason that I was open to meeting Chris, who's now the love of my life and mm-hmm. my fiance and partner. And, uh, and I wouldn't, I would have been blind to him before mm-hmm. that. So that's when date brazen was born. And now I get to help hundreds of women around the world do that work with me of, um, deepening their relationship to themselves, deepening their confidence in what they want and their self-trust uh, that they know how to find what they, they're looking for with that reflective work and tactical strategy. Mm, that's so, wow. Uh, so much in there to unpack as well. <laughs> I know. I was like, are you going to pause? Are you going to just blaze through this? Or are you going to share everything at once? I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking go for it. I hope Do I it. Yes. This. Yes. You're, you're totally fine. Great. Thank you. Um, so, okay. Where do I want to go with this? So many directions. I mean, what I'm hearing too, is that there's a a definite difference between matchmaking and what you do. You're, you talk about date coaching. Yeah. Um, and so that like, to me conjures a different image of like sitting with someone who is maybe wanting to explore dating, but not sure what kind of expectations to have. And, um, you mentioned checklist, understanding what's underneath, like, these are my top three must haves. Mm -hmm. Um, but why what's underneath that? Mm -hmm. So I think what I want to understand is, um, the platform of date brazen. And I, I think I saw somewhere that you have like a three-step approach Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, can we dive into that a little bit? I think let's do it. Let's dive in. So my approach is housed in my coaching program, the brazen breakthrough. So everything I say, I'll be drawing from that program that I've been running for about three years. Um, so three, four years. So it's all about how can, you build it. How can a, how can a, a feminist identifying badass woman who has most everything in her life figured out, has great friends, has a pretty great career is feeling like forward momentum. She invests in herself with therapy mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, loves to travel. Like she, she loves her life. Right. And the one thing in her life that feels like she can't figure out or feels endlessly frustrating is dating. Um, because the landscape has shifted so much over the last 10, 15 years, because the expectation is to play the numbers game, which is exhausting and fun and, and existentially, um, existentially exhausting, I, I think. So when, when people, um, come into the date brazen world and, and come into this coaching, we start with reflective work. So we start by illuminating past patterns lovingly. We start learning more about self. They start learning more about self-compassion and how self-compassion is elemental to a dating life that feels joyful and a process that is centering you instead of centering the expectations of others or centering, you know, a partner's desires over your own. So you really get beneath the surface there and then illuminating your deeper essence-based preferences like we're talking about. So taking inventory of like, what are you, what are you looking for? And then what is that feeling that you desire? Mm-hmm. People say like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know if I can trust myself after this toxic relationship or this mm-hmm. abusive relationship. I didn't see the red flags before, or I didn't know what I didn't know before. How am I going to find the right person? And it's all about identifying how you want to feel in the presence of the right person and then measuring how you feel in every single dating interaction that you have. Mm. So becoming joyfully systematized with it. I am very type A. Yeah. So, no, this, is, this is good. Can I insert a question in here? Because yeah, I, 
I have a, um, I don't know, feeling, I feel like I've heard other people say this, that in order to understand how you truly feel it, you know, like in relationship to another person in that romantic way, do you have to remove sex from the equation? Do you have to have a period of time where sex is because it kind of clouds your, can it cloud your judgment, right? Like the rose colored glasses come on. It feels really good. I forget about X, Y, and Z that are kind of red flags because the sex is amazing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So my thoughts are that any piece of advice that tells a woman not to have sex is not a piece of advice that I enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) So I like one of our core values that Dave Brazen is freedom. Like I Mm -hmm. want my clients to feel the freedom to act on their instincts, to have sex if they want to have sex. I think that um, so much dating advice is rooted in the patriarchal conventional mm-hmm. standard that we've all been inculcated into, you know, been, been, yeah. um, you know, brainwashed by in so many ways. And, um, <laughs> funny that you say that. Cause it was totally a man that I heard say this, that, that, that advice came from not I to mean, me, but like in a general yeah. talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I was raised in the Southern Baptist mm-hmm. church in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. So I'm, I'm in Brooklyn now. I don't identify as religious now, but I, I know what it does to people slash women when you tell them not to have sex because sex clouds your judgment. What that mean, what that is implying is that women can't trust themselves to mm-hmm. make good decisions for themselves if you have sex involved, which sure, like have I made sexual decisions under the influence of four glasses of wine on a date that I wish I hadn't? Yes. Uh, yes. And did I learn from that experience? Was that experience valuable for me? Yes, absolutely. Do Mm -hmm. I have trauma in my sexual history because of situations I was in, in which I was taken advantage of in certain ways? Yeah. Like that's what I, I, this is all a both and right. Like, so both and if you get to know yourself on a deeper level, you take inventory of your patterns and maybe one of your patterns is you have sex on every first date you go on. Mm -hmm. I would want to know what was going on in your brain and your body on those dates. What Mm -hmm. does sex mean to you? What is it that you were really horny and you weren't allowing yourself to have sexual desire? And so you just like fell into this, like sex, you fell into sex on every first date. And that's actually fine for your, like fine for your dating life and fine for what you want to be doing. Okay. Is sex something that you is it a deeper insecurity that you're afraid somebody doesn't like you? And so you're going to have sex on a first date, every first date, because you're, that's the way you've been, been socialized to uh, receive desire and receive, you know, like I want to unpack that to understand the why behind what sexual decisions you're making, make space for intimacy, spontaneous intimacy. Mm -hmm. And also know that like, I love this saying breath is boundary. So Mm. on dates, I'm telling my clients like breath is boundary. You need to be breathing. You need to be checking in with your body. You need to know how to check in with your body. You need to know how to like identify what feelings you have. Go to the bathroom, take a deep breath, like look at what's happening in the moment and center your why. Mm. If your why is I want to find the right life partner and I want to treat myself well along the way. Mm -hmm both and then check in with your body. If this person feels like a good potential, like next, like good potential life partner for you. And you're having really beautiful conversation and they're asking beautifully intimate questions and you sense a level of genuineness. And you also want to have sex after that date. Great. Mm -hmm. If you, if like you're on a date and you don't think that they're a good life partner and you have some crazy sexual chemistry with that centering your why of treating yourself right now, well, you can also make the decision to have sex on a first date with somebody that you don't want to be in a relationship with. I think it's all of both and. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Great answer. Thank you. (laughs) That's so good. I'm really glad I asked that. Um, And also slightly like, oh God, was that like a belief I had? I don't know. Where'd that come from? And (laughs) so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you believe in uh, love at first sight. What are your thoughts on that? I think that, so my relationship 
with, hmm, great question. I think that there can be a lot of things at first, like, I think there's so much that we don't know or yeah. understand about love and connection and, um, and, and that spark, you know, people talk about the spark. I do think that there can be instant connection that is really intriguing. So I like to organize first, second, third plus dates around this idea of intrigue. Do you have intrigue enough for another date? Do you have intrigue enough for, um, you know, to be in a relationship with this person? Like, is there enough there for you to say yes? Because so many of my clients stress themselves out about, am I feeling this love at first sight thing? Am I feeling, you know, a deeper connection? Is this enough to go on another date? Am I feeling enough for this person? And I will say about my relationship with Chris that he and I were friends for a while through mutual friends before I ever saw him like sexually or romantically in my brain. And mm -hmm. when I connected with him on a deeper emotional level, I mean, Tessa, I had, I started having dreams about him as Ooh. my partner. It was crazy before our first date. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's how I, because he had asked me out. I said, no, cause I was healing um, mm. from my breakup. And then I, started having dreams and I was like, okay, I've got to ask him out. So I knew at the, at that first date, I knew that I loved him hmm. and I knew that it would be a very deep, serious relationship. So I think it was like, I would say my intuition was saying something. My intrigue was lit up and I was trying to be aware of the story that I was telling myself on that date about myself and my experience. Mm -hmm. So does that make sense? So there's a little bit of distance from like the experience of that feeling and the judgment based on that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. And it also, I mean, I love that you're talking about the awareness of how you're feeling in that situation, your breath. What was the phrase you said? Your breath, breath is, is boundary. Breath is boundary. Yeah. What a great practice, like regardless of the situation you're in, just <laughs> check in with your breath and take yes. a minute, go to the bathroom. How are you feeling? Take a deep breath. What does that feel like? I love that. Such great advice. So, um, it is so yes, it makes sense to answer your question. Yeah. And you did say, yeah, go ahead. You did say, I knew I loved him. What, yeah. what, is, what did that look like? Feel like for you? I knew I loved him. Well, I was freaked out by it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think that for my clients that go on really good dates, after the first date, there's, or second date or third date, there's an element of like, can it be this easy mm. with the right person? Right. So that was sort of the feeling of like, that was weird and easy because <laughs> I'm not used to that. And it was when he like, it was winter and he like held my hands to warm them up. He asked mm -hmm. if he could hold my hands to warm them up. And I was like looking at this human and we just felt this calm and grounded just like curiosity and awareness that this was, I don't know. I just felt grounded and excited. Mm -hmm. So that both end of like, I wasn't, I wasn't like buzzing frenetically. Mm -hmm. I was buzzing on a more grounded frequency in his presence. And I knew that he was a human who deeply cared about me immediately because of the questions he asked me. Like, I love using this when people tell you who they are, believe them quote by Maya Angel, Dr. Maya Angelou as a, um, a level setter. Because when we do that work in month one of illuminating, then we move into like strategizing and part of strategizing is coming up with a courageous communication strategy. Mm. So what does courageous communication look like? It, it means asking deeper questions that qualify the right people and disqualify the wrong people mm -hmm. with ease. So when I ask a question of someone like what's bringing you the most joy lately or who in your family are you closest to, or, um, you know, what do you want to change in this world? Like what legacy do you want to leave? Their answer will allow me to see them more deeply. And when someone shows you who they are, believe them. So Chris on this date was answering all of these questions that I had, but also coming back mm. to me with deeper questions, right? This conversation was equally held and mm -hmm. equally curious. I didn't feel like I was doing emotional labor unnecessarily mm -hmm. for him, which was another new experience. 
um, because I was so used to packing on that emotional labor, like carrying the wheelbarrow down the street of all of their hopes and dreams and issues. And, you know, cause I'm a really good listener. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so that's part of strategizing is like building that courageous communication plan and then also building a boundary map, like when you are dating online or in person, how are you going to set the right boundaries with your own time, with your own uh, messaging, with your own dates? Like, how are you going to stand firm in what you want without compromising because another person is pressuring you or because another person has their feelings about it? Like owning your feelings and not taking responsibility for another humans. That's like a huge piece of this work in, in the strategy portion. Absolutely. Oh, and, you know, taking that forward into, and I'm, I'm, this is all really interesting to me from the perspective of someone who's been in a monogamous relationship for uh, about 15 years. And I'm thinking, as I'm listening to you, <laughs> how do we, you know, continue that? How do we continue dating our, our life partner and continue asking those questions of each other and, or, know when to pivot if it's, Mm -hmm. if you got into that toxic place, is it Mm -hmm. fixable? So I guess I have myself thinking a couple of questions. Number one is I feel like I've heard other women, other friends in my life talk about how when they were dating their partner, um, their partner was really willing to do X, Y, and Z activity with them. Like there was Mm -hmm. almost this period where, the partner would say yes to everything in order to impress and, or, you know, say, Hey, I'm on board and to, to woo, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you might call that the honeymoon phase, right? So then Mm -hmm. they have wooed said partner and years go by and suddenly they feel like they're not the same person that they got together with because they no longer suddenly the truth comes out. They, they never really liked doing that thing. They never liked hiking or, um, reading poetry or taking long walks on the beach after all, right? Like the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. So um, what is, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. My thoughts are that we change. Hmm. Even if you were putting on that you like to hike or whatever, like maybe at the beginning of my relationship with Chris, I don't, I'm trying to think of an example. Like I would have said, oh, I love going on runs. He's, he's a huge runner and Mm -hmm. he goes on these long runs. And uh, maybe I would have said like, oh, I love going on runs with you. And today, four years into the relationship, I'm like, nope, never, nope, (laughs) not, not doing it. I don't like it, you know, but I think that the goal shouldn't be like, we share these hobbies and that is the center of our relationship. That's not what I hear you saying, but I think a lot of people place a lot of emphasis on shared hobbies or shared activities as a way of deeper connection. Mm -hmm. I think that instead of, and I'm not a relationship therapist. I think a relationship therapist probably would have a lot of thoughts on this as well. I highly recommend couples therapy and therapy on your own. Um, So, and I actually only work with women basically who go to a therapist outside of our work together, um, just to have that deeper knowledge of self and that support. So in terms of relational connection, pivoting from, oh my God, you don't like the shared thing that we used to do. That's how we used to connect to how can we remain radically nimble in our communication and in our relationship with each other and radically loving and, and, and open to each other's growth. So the, the radically nimble is something that Chris and I strive for of like, we're going to change. We want to communicate about how we're changing and what we desire from each other. And if, if one of us doesn't feel a deep connection to the other, like we need to talk about it and, and Mm -hmm. discover what's beneath that, you know? So, um, that's what I'd say. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it totally does. And I love that you said that first and foremost, people change and we do. And especially when you're with somebody for over a decade going on That's uh, a long several decades, a long yeah. time. people change. And, you know, I mean, basically speaking my, from my perspective, I got married when I was like a baby. So of course I was going to change and evolve and my likes and dislikes w- would, would change. So yeah, thank you for um, acknowledging that. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so I'm wondering so do you just work with women? 
Yeah. I work with women and, um, however, um, and we work with a diverse group of women, right. We're working Mm -hmm. with women all over the world of all different races, religions, um, uh, sexual identities, uh, and, uh, backgrounds. Mm Um, yeah. That's awesome. Do you ever, um, encounter a situation where they want to like, now this might like border on the, um, maybe couples therapy line, but does anyone ever ask for advice with, can you, can I bring my potential dating partner into this conversation or do they ask you for help in that way? Sometimes like I've had clients ask me for support in a messaging scenario at the beginning Mm. of a relationship, like what should I say back or how should I express this need or how should I, and then in terms of my goal in shifting from professional matchmaking to now date coaching full-time and changing women's lives that way. My goal is that you become your own expert matchmaker and you trust yourself enough to be your best advocate. So I'm here, once you've gone through my process, um, and, and this work together, I, uh, want to hold you accountable to your desires and your goals. I want to empower you and be your hype woman of like, yes, ask for what you need. Yes. Share that you have a problem with that. Yes. Uh, you know, go on that date that feels a little vulnerable because you like them a lot or because you're not sure gather the information, right? I have a date feedback system that people start using in month three that, they, they need to, after every date, check, use it to check in with their intuition, check in with their self-trust, check in with their preferences, whether or not this per like what to gather the information that they need to go on the next date and gather the right information there to make an empowered decision. So I think that I have a client now who she was really struggling in her dating life. Um, she had just exited an abusive relationship and was mm-hmm. seeking help for uh, trauma and, and working through that. And we started working together, I want to say like six months after the breakup. And so it was a very difficult process, even wrapping her head around putting herself out there again. Mm-hmm. And this idea of self-trust, we worked on it for a year and a half. How do I trust myself? How do I identify what I'm feeling in my body? How do I ask these deeper questions? How do I release the fear that by me asking this direct question, they're going to leave me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so we worked on that for a year and a half and then she was able to meet this man who now she's in this incredible relationship with. They're moving in together. Um, mm-hmm. I hope to be invited to their wedding one day soon. It's like just the, the transformation that happens when you learn how to trust yourself, especially in the context of your love life. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why this work is life-changing, not just dating life-changing because you're learning how to build a, how do you learning how to jump off of a framework of empowered decision-making? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. It's so important in any walk of life to, to learn how to love yourself yes. dating or, or not dating. So thank you. Um, and so I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the couple year plus that we've had with a world of COVID, how are people meeting each other? I know there's a lot of apps. Um, you know, I wonder if it's like, is that, you know, the meet cute, like the uh-huh. romantic fairy tale meet cute. Is that a thing that still happens? I mean, how are people even beginning to date? Like, how do you get yeah. to that place? Yeah. So I think that it's a both and, um, like we've been talking about, not an either or. I think mm-hmm. so many people see an either or in dating. It's like either I'm on all the dating apps and I'm trying really hard and I'm swiping all the time and I'm going on a million dates or I'm not trying Mm -hmm. either. I'm going to just do in person. I'm going to hope that it happens in person, or I'm going to date on dating apps. Like either, you know, it can be a both. And I think that a dating app is an amazing resource for two reasons. One to get to know your dating personality. Mm -hmm. So when you're thrust into a dating context and a messaging context, you're going to learn a lot about your triggers, your activation points, your your communication style. You're going to learn a lot about your deeper desires. You're going to learn a lot about how, um, how, how you can courageously communicate and what your preferences, like learn about your preferences. Okay. Number one, number two, you're going to meet somebody outside of your social circle, which is a difficult thing to do 
without a dating app sometimes because a lot of people's social circles are sort of tapped out of new people or your friends don't know any single humans that you'd be attracted to. So using a dating app is, is a very effective way to meet somebody. Now, I, I don't like them. I don't, I I don't like them all. I I dislike them all equally because they were built like slot machines. They were built to addict users. They were built to um, studies have shown that, that they trick the pleasure center of your brain to crave cheap, cheap rewards, like a match and a message over you know, it sort of clouds your judgment and cognitive overload kicks in when you have more than a certain number of options. And when cognitive overload kicks in, your higher functioning shuts down. And so that's why I think part of the reason we see so much bad behavior and like ghosting and stuff. So I get it. Like that's a both and two. They're a good tool to use and you have to be in the driver's seat of using them. Otherwise you're going to get swallowed and into the swirl of dating mm-hmm. app nonsense and mess and, and anxiety. So both and when I work with my clients on building a strategy for online dating, rebuilding their profile, coming up with like, what, what, you know, what is, what are, who are you? What are you, what are you doing? Who are you? What do you desire authentically and wholeheartedly? That strategy also applies for in-person dating. So that applies to how you communicate with your friends about what you're looking for how you ask people at a bar, a qualifying, disqualifying question. Could you give me an example of one of those? Yeah. So like what's bringing (laughs) you joy is my favorite one. Okay. So Mm -hmm. if I was at a bar and I saw a cute human and I walked up to them, I was like, Hey, love your, I don't know how I would start the conversation. Several of my clients have done this after going through this process because they just feel badass and confident, but it's like, Hey, um, I'm Lily. Like literally, Hey, I'm Lily. Hey, I'm Jeff or whatever. Oh my God. You know, I have a crazy question for you. What's bringing you joy lately? <laughs> literally, literally it will, it has stopped people in their tracks when I ask them this question, because they immediately, when someone is thinking about what brings them joy, you'll get a lot of information about them. Either it's like, yeah, I really enjoy getting off of work because I hate what I do. I hate my oh, job. It sucks, <laughs> sucks so hard. And you're like, oh, cool. Thank you. You know, cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks for sure. Or it's like, oh my God, I hung out with my nephew this weekend and it was so fun and funny. And he like is so, you know, sporty. And that makes me so happy because I love football or I love baseball, you know, whatever. Then you're like, oh, wow, your family, you like your family and you mm-hmm. like being outside and you like, you know. So that question, I think also another there are levels to qualifying, disqualifying questions, several, some qualifying, disqualifying questions, QD questions are more, more like beginning of conversation. Like what's bringing you joy? What has been the trip you're most grateful for in your life? Mm -hmm. Um, others are deeper, like, um, you know, what's, what's another favorite of mine? Um, what's your favorite way to relax? Mm-hmm. Um, what does, what's one book everybody should read? Who do you admire most in your life? Like those kind of questions are for a date at, or for a deeper conversation. And you can really get to know somebody with those and how they respond to them and ask you a question back also really matters. So if they're not asking you a question back, if they're, you know, then that's a bless and release, like mm-hmm. bless and release people swiftly. Yes. I love that. Oh, what a great list of questions already. I want to just write them down and go ask my partner. Do it <laughs> right now. Um, Bring them in the room. <laughs> hey, Jorge. No. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions about matchmaking because in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, I'm sure. Have you seen the movie Hitch? Oh, I love Hitch. Well, here's yeah. the deal. About Hitch. Here's the deal. Tell me. Hitch is not a matchmaker. He's not. Hitch is a dating coach. Oh, okay. So he's a dating coach. So I had always like, you're right though. That's true. Okay. Anyways, continue. Because Hitch, and he wouldn't identify with either of those phrases, either of those terms, maybe, you know, as a character, Mm -hmm. he might not say I'm a, maybe he would say like, I'm a liaison or like, I'm like Mm -hmm. a consultant, right? He would, he would say, I do that. And, and what I do, what he does in that movie. Okay. Let's take Kevin James as an example. Mm -hmm. So Kevin James, I don't know his name and I don't remember his name in the movie, but I love this movie. So they're in New York living their best life. Kevin James has this job that he hates. He loves this. He is infatuated with this woman that, that is his client and he hires Hitch to figure out 
now is there a level of like patriarchal manipulation that is going on when hitch like manipulates these situations to be able to you know catch this woman's attention maybe but let's take it as it, it let's take it as its word and assume positive intent so hitch helps this man to build the skills that he needs to have the confidence to attract the person that he desires mm-hmm. and so that's what i you know that's what i do yeah and it's not when people people aren't like let me figure out how to catch this man mm-hmm. or woman I'll work with Lily. It's like, they, they don't have any idea yet who they want to be with probably, but it's about how do I embody the confidence and the, um, the empowered decision-making enough to attract the kind of partner that I desire and that I deserve. Cause like Kevin James was so stuck in his own head. He was stuck in his own anxiety. He was stuck in playing small Mm -hmm. and deferring to other people. And that's what I see in women's dating lives all day long. They're used to playing small. They're used to want to shoving their needs aside. They're used to apologizing for what they want instead of claiming it boldly. Like he does, like Kevin James does at that conference table. He's like, no, you deserve better, ma'am. I don't remember her name either, but like (laughs) embodying that, that confidence and that joy is what will attract the right person to you. And that's why Hitch and I are identical and like maybe the date brazen reality show will be like queer eye meets hitch you know what i'm saying yes oh i love that (laughs) okay that answers my question thank you um have you heard of esther perel i have um so you're familiar with her work around monogamy I a little bit. I want to hear more. Yeah. I mean, I, I might, if you shared more and maybe I don't, I'll be honest if I don't. Okay, cool. Well, here's what I've heard her say. Um, and I'm not like an expert on it by any means, but I really think it's an interesting conversation in terms of she kind of describes it as modern day monogamy and versus like this patriarchal contract that we made in marriage, um, for the purpose of a business transaction right? Like that was monogamy. I don't know in the fifties, let's say she has a much better way of describing it. (laughs) But um, anyways, so her, she talks about modern monogamy in the context of like, yeah, we get married, we make vows, we say till death do us part, but that's a little bit archaic. And is it realistic? So, um, so modern monogamy, as I understand her saying it is, you make a contract for the period of time that you're in this relationship with this person. And you understand, like we were talking about earlier, that you'll go through phases in your life where you'll change your mind or you'll change your preferences, or maybe you'll grow apart. So it is okay to say, I think we, you know, have grown apart and, and take a step back and maybe, you know, whatever it is, separate. Um, And so that's how she describes modern monogamy. But I think it's such an interesting concept overall, this idea of monogamy and the construct of it and where it came from um, and how we apply it to our our life today. Because before that, I always thought, yeah, you know, you get married and it's for life. And like, worst case scenario, you got to get a divorce because you have to get out of a bad situation. Um, but we're living a lot longer now. Right. And so we do go through those phases and then we go through another phase when maybe we have children and they move out and, and one person realizes, Hey, I want to go, uh, walk the road to Santiago. And the other person's like, you're crazy. I'm going to stay here in my house Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. never leave. (laughs) So I'm wondering, right. Um, Yeah. And her book is called, she has several, but the one that I'm referring to is called mating in captivity, where she talks about this, these Mm -hmm. concepts. So I don't know if that's interesting to you, if you feel like that's something that you see or address or yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I think that, uh, so I'm planning our, uh, Chris and I are planning our wedding right now. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So we have been wearing rings for about two, three years, but we, and, and so we, that was like our engagement phase one. Cause we loved feeling maximum committed. Mm-hmm. And I wore my ring that I was, I inherited from my grandmother. He wore a ring that he got in a show. And so, cause he's an actor and a producer. And, um, and so that was phase one. And then phase two of our engagement happened about three months ago when we got our own, I wanted my own symbol 
full of um, commitment outside of my grandmother's um, gift to mm-hmm. me. So we got another, we got a ring that we picked out together for me and we decided to start planning a wedding and gather, you know, 50 family and friend, family and um, friends to uh, witness with us and, and celebrate with us. So this idea of what works, what doesn't, what do we want to do? What do we not want to do? It is on my mind every single day mm-hmm. because when you're, when you're planning a ritual, Mm-hmm. It is of the utmost. I want that ritual to be reflective of our beliefs and our desires and something deeper. Like we're not just going to, we're not just going to sign off on just any thing that we say or any ritual that is just traditional. We're going to be very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. So I think the same intention can be applied to what you desire in your romantic future. Um, and, and not, I think exploring monogamy is an important thing to do. I mean, Part of the reason that my relationship with one of my exes was so toxic for me is that he wanted non-monogamy and I didn't. And Mm -hmm. I made myself like say in air quotes, I like opened myself up to that possibility because I was afraid of losing him. Mm-hmm. And so I tried being non-monogamous. I did all the research on like primary partners or satellite partner, like all these different things, but it ultimately didn't work for me because I, I desired and desire to be monogamous in the relationship that I'm in as to feel emotionally safe Mm -hmm. and as to like deepen that intimacy with that one person. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that understanding will change and I'm Mm -hmm. open to that. I'm open to growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, call me, I don't know. I wonder what you think about this, but I think when I, when, when we plan out what we're going to say at our wedding, like, I don't know that I'm going to make a promise for Lily 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. I actually, I'm not, I'm not going to make a promise for her. I can make a promise. I love what you share that Esther says that it's about making a promise for that, the relationship Mm -hmm. and that that relationship has the option to change and shift. And as we do as people. Mm -hmm. So I think it's beautiful, this idea of like choosing this partner and and continuing to choose him Mm -hmm. and continuing to be nimble in our communication and understanding of ourselves as humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My experience um, with vows was interesting (laughs) in that um, my husband is from Mexico and uh, we got married in Mexico and we brought my family down there. Um, And uh, (laughs) so it was all in Spanish. And um, honestly, I don't, at the time I wasn't a a very good Spanish speaker. So I don't actually know what I said. Have you had him explain it to you since, or do you know what you said since? He did tell me, he did translate it to me at one point in time, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. Although it was literally straight out of a Catholic, um, it it was very Catholic, Mm -hmm. right? So um, it was that Catholic tradition and ritual in that sense. And, um, you know, to me, I was was so young. Like I said, I was 24. I didn't say this, but I was young. Um, and it felt so very romantic, um, and so very beautiful. And I just, it was like, all I could see was this man. Like there was no other world outside of him. He just took up so much of my space. So I was like, whatever, I don't care. Uh (laughs) Spanish is a beautiful language. I will say it in Spanish. Um, and I look back at that girl and I'm like, wow, she, uh, was very, um, adventurous. and uh, such a free spirit. And I still am. Um, And I give myself permission to change my mind and grow and evolve still to to this day. Um, And we have been doing that together for the past, you know, like I said, 15 years. So yeah, that's incredible. It's interesting. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm speaking of joy. And looking into 2021, I mean, it feels like it's almost already over 2022. What is sparking joy for you? What's what's joyous in your life? I love this question. Um, (laughs) I am, you caught me. I'm going to speak from just like where I'm planted today. I'm uh, putting together uh, a job application for uh, an executive assistant that I'm going to hire Cool um, for date brazen. So I have not, I've only worked with, um, 
I have a lot of people on my team with like contractors mm -hmm. and things like that, but I've never hired a full-time W2 employee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and this will be my first. And so that is really exciting and joyful when I lean into the possibility and lean into this, like up leveling in my own understanding of myself and my business and my capacity to lead and to hire. And so that is bringing me a lot of excitement and joy. And then I have to really work on my thoughts around it because it can veer into like anxiety land, mm -hmm. but I'm working on practicing the gratitude for this opportunity and gratitude for this moment. <laughs> oh, that is exciting. I mean that, yeah. Up level, you your business is growing. It's an investment. It is a wow. new relationship. Wow. Yeah. I actually, it's funny that you say that I was an executive assistant for about 10 years for many different people, but it's such a, it's such an intimate relationship to have with, yeah. you know, as the uh, person in the support role and as the CEO, which you are. So it is really, there's so much trust, right? Like you basically have to hand over, you don't have to, but it usually works better when you hand over autonomy to your EA um, because they feel empowered and they can make decisions and they ideally are making your life work like that. Like yeah. they're taking all that uh, administrative stuff off your plate and everything else flows smoothly so that you can, I mean, you know, this so that you can show up and be Lily Womble and be this amazing, amazing date coach and mm. empower women. So mm -hmm. I wish you luck. I empathize with that. Um, I'm excited for you. That's great. Thank you. And ultimately the goal is to serve more women well, you know, and to, mm -hmm. um, serve more people well. Um, and that's, you know, I think I didn't say this, but I, um, you know, dating is a microcosm of every hope, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we have. And so as such, it matters to our overall well-being. And because of that, you know, this work is deep and it is, um, it is, I don't want to say heavy, but it's, it's serious work. And we're, we're mm -hmm. really, um, working as a team, working to show up for our clients every day. And so I'm excited to be supported. Um, tell me what's bringing you joy. What's sparking joy for you? Oh, so we, I am getting ready to leave, to go to Mexico with my family. Um, my husband's, he still has some family down there. So they, uh, are going to meet us at the beach. We're going to stay. It's a little town called Sayulita, which is on the Puerto Vallarta side. So it's Pacific coast side. And we just rent a house there on the beach for a few days. And, um, one of my, I love to practice yoga. I also teach yoga. So one of my favorite yoga teachers, um, is there that I get to go visit and practice with. And I'm not like when I step into her class and I hear her speak, it just brings, it brings the tears to my eyes. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, it just feels so good to be with her. I, I feel that in my body, as you say it too, yoga is so powerfully emotional and or can be. Yeah, and it can be. Yeah. in the right setting with the right people, trusting yourself, knowing your limits, all of those things are important. So there's a lot for me to look forward to this week and, um, yeah. And, and coming up, it's just like, oh, the summer is here. Oh, geez. <laughs> all we, the things. I'm so grateful that the world is opening back up. And that's something that, um, you know, me and my clients are making space for is like, what is, mm -hmm. what is re-entry and how do we take care of ourselves and yeah. not over overdo it? as right. our brain readjusts, you know, Oh, I was having that exact conversation with a dear friend of mine. Um, actually I've been having that conversation with a lot of people cause it's on top of mind as I feel yeah. like, and tell me what you think there was pre COVID, which to me, I was kind of unconsciously on this, um, hamster wheel and yeah. feeling like something's got to give, I got to get rid of one thing so that I'm not overextending myself and burning myself out. And then COVID hit. And I was someone who was very blessed to be able to take that time to introspect and rest. Basically I rested for a year. And now the world is opening back up and I'm like, all these opportunities are coming my way, which are exciting. And I want to say yes to everything. And that creates exhaustion and burnout over time, right? If I'm not mindful of it. So I'm trying to find a balance, right? How do we re-enter into the world and take care of ourselves? And for me, hold on to that sense of rest and peace and calm and also say yes to the opportunities that are valuable and meaningful 
and that helped move me forward. Mm -hmm. So yeah, any advice would be welcome, but I mean, it sounds like you're in the same boat. (laughs) Well, I, I actually, the year, the year and a half of, you know, staying at home and, and being safe, I spent a lot of time on my business. Like most Mm -hmm. of my time, I did not really rest. I did not Mm -hmm. really, um, take time to recharge. I was like going full in, in my business. And, and that was bringing me a lot of joy. And I desire to build a new relationship to my work, um, and to myself and my work. So that's the active challenge now is, um, how do I build in more space to rest and more space to rejuvenate myself? Um, because this has been the best financial and um, business year of my whole life, which is wow. so exciting. Yeah. We, we crossed six figures this mm. year. We, you know, so it's been great. And I want to make space for more play and more free time and more rest. So both hands, like I'm, yeah. my task now is how do I rest? <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Well, and you're on your way, you're hiring the support you need and that should create that space. So I think that's the right step. Thank you. Uh, Lily, where can people find you if they want to reach out, follow you? So uh, you can find me at Date Brazen on Instagram. You can listen to the Date Brazen podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. That's where I come uh, weekly with um, dating advice that is soul-centered and um, uh, feminist-centered. And uh, so that's a great place. You can go to datebrazen.com to check out my services. There's a free guide that I would love to share with your listeners um, called my, the guide to make dating feel like Mm self-care. And I'll send that link to you to include maybe in the description or in the show notes or whatever, um, just because it's a great way to get on my email list and also learn that these three tenets of bragging, self-compassion and mindset work as it relates to your dating life right now. So I would love to offer that. Oh, thank you. Yes. So I'll absolutely add that link in the show notes and as well as links to your podcast, your website and your Instagram handle so that people can easily find you and become empowered and, you know, just continue to be amazing. Yeah. Find the right relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else? Any anything else you want to share? No, I'm so grateful for this time and this opportunity. You're you're so wonderful. Likewise, Lily. Thank you for your time. It's such an honor to speak with you. It's really good to see your face. I, I'm enjoying this medium, this Zoom medium, but also I'm I'm looking forward to recording again in person soon. <laughs> So maybe if I find myself in Brooklyn, I'll be like, Hey, Lily, can we, uh, (laughs) let's do a remote record. Yeah. Have a round two. All right, Lily, I will let you go. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, or even requests for future podcast topics, Please feel free to reach out to me on social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, Yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address Tessa.Tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen... I don't do this, and my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in, and have a lovely day. Bye.